Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Fire Inspired Young Apostolic Podcast, or FIRE for short. My name is Brother Matt, and we're going to be continuing on with our um, second lesson on our journey to Easter, to experience Easter for ourselves. And uh, in last last episode, we talked about the journey to the cross, and today we're going to be talking about the commitment to the cross. And uh, Easter is a time that we set aside to reflect on the cross and what it means in our life. And uh, and a lot of times we we uh, we as a society uh, know what the cross is, but really. Um, Really, we don't fully understand what that cross did for us and what it means for us as Christians. So we're going to be uh, uh, delving in and uh, talking about. We've already talked about the things leading up to um, leading up to the cross. The cross, but we're going to be talking about the commitment or committed to the cross. In this uh, in this lesson, we're going to be talking about the choice made during the Passion Week or during the week uh, leading up to Jesus' moments on the cross speaks to us still two thousand years some later. Have you ever uh, have you ever heard the phrase "Don't burn your boat"? Well, this phrase actually points or is a similarity to the historical uh, in, uh, incidents where a commander of a, of a ship ordered their men to burn their boats when entering hostile territory. The reason for this is that they, had, they no longer had any options to go home. Their only option were to fight and, and conquer or to die. So the term burn your boats simply means to bring yourself to a point of no return. You can never go back to how things once were. And we can kind of look at this as a good thing. Because it shows determination, and then we can also look at it and go, yeah, but that's a bad thing, because your boat's sinking. But how does this apply to the cross, and how does this apply to Easter? Well, the hours leading up to Jesus' death were burning boat moments for many of, of the people involved. They were forced to decide if they would cater to their flesh or to God's purpose and will. If they were going to do what felt good or do what felt what they knew to be right. So let's talk about right right after we, we had talked about the uh, Last Supper and that they were walking up to the Mount of Olives and they finally get to a place called Gethsemane. So let's talk about the prayers of Gethsemane. After celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus led Peter, James, and John to Gethsemane, a garden near the Mount of Olives. Jesus went a stone's throw away, and he fell on his face, and he began to pray. 
Mark the 14th chapter and the 36th verse tells us and he said Abba Father all all things are possible unto thee take away this cup from me nevertheless not what I will but what thou wilt Jesus as he was praying was praying and he he was saying God all things are possible with you Jesus asked that the cup of suffering be taken away from him in the Bible cup is often used to refer to suffering or the wrath of God so Jesus prayed not what I will but what thou wilt. Not my will, but your will be done. This is the second time in the garden that a sinless, immortal man had a, moment, a momentous decision to make. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had to choose between sin and obedience. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to choose between his flesh and obedience. Unlike Adam, Jesus chose obedience. And as the scripture plainly points out, that where the first Adam fell, the second Adam, which was Jesus Christ, failed not. In anguish and in agony, Jesus prayed even more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And you might say, well, is this even possible? Well, there is a there is a term for this. It's hematidrosis. And it is an extremely rare medical condition associated with a high degree of emotion and psychological stress. In this condition, humans have actually been known to sweat blood. Luke, a physician, was the only writer who mentions this occurrence. So, just stop and imagine the emotional and the psychological stress that Jesus had. Let's be honest, the, the man part side of him was saying, God, I don't want to die. The, 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 the fleshly side of Jesus, no one likes to die. No one really wants to, no one wants to feel the sting of death. But you know, this was a this was a moment for Jesus. This was a moment for Jesus that he could have said, "I'm not doing this." But in the end result, he said he wasn't saying, "I must." He was saying, "I'll I'll be more than willing to." You see, with the, with him 
wetting, almost as if it was blood falling. We, we can almost say that before he was ever arrested, Jesus' bloodshed had begun. Jesus returned to Peter and his, and his disciples and found them asleep. In the hours before, Jesus had told the Lord that he would never abandon him. He would go with them everywhere. Peter's resolve was already weakening. Jesus prayed a second and a third time that God would take this cup of suffering from him. Living in a fully human body, Jesus did not want to endure the cross any more than you or I. His prayer that he would be spared the coming ordinance really were sincere. His desire that God's will be done, even even to the detriment of his own comfort, was also sincere. You see, Jesus was God in the flesh. His prayers were not a clash of two divine wills. His prayer illustrates the struggle of the human will to submit to the divine divine will and call of God. This, sacri- this sacred account of the cross prompts many questions for us today. Like Jesus' disciples, have you ever been excited about living for God one moment? Such as during a powerful church service only to feel spiritually drained hours later. Too out of touch with God to make a sound, sound choices? Or have you ever struggled with why God said no to an earnest prayer that you pray? As you can see, the struggle there can be seen through the pages. So we're talked about the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's talk about, about him being arrested. Judas had arranged a signal with the enemy. He would kiss the man they should arrest. He led a group carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons into the grove or into the garden. Now let's stop and think about this. Jesus, who had never shown any signs of violence other than taking a whip and overturning the money changers, they're going to come with torches, lanterns, and, and weapons. A vigil, vigilat, vigilante mob squad. And they were going to come and take him and arrest him. John, the, the 18th chapter. 4 through 8 reads like this. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. So see, Jesus knew everything even before anything happened. Knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, or the disciples, or or unto the, um, I'm sorry, unto the um, grove that had come unto him, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't even know what he looked like. They were just coming to arrest him. And Jesus, uh, Jesus said unto them, I am 
he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And the eighth verse will end it here, and it says, And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. When the group said they wanted Jesus of, Naz- Jesus of Nazareth, they weren't really expecting to him to show up at their doorstep, so to speak. But Jesus said, nonetheless, I am he. At these very words, as we just read, the men fell backwards on the ground. The Greek word for fall is pipto. It can also mean to fall down before someone of high rank or divine being, as in worship. So even even before Peter stood up in the fourth chapter of Acts and said that there's no other name given under heaven whereby man must be saved, that believe it or not, if we use if we use this and just kind of use our imagination, when he said, "I am He, I am the Jesus of Nazareth, whom you seek," that they fell down at the very mention of him saying, "I am that I am." Whew, that's just powerful. Peter, all of a sudden realizing the threat, drew his sword and sliced off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant that had came along with a squad. Jesus commanded Peter to put away his sword. He asked if they uh, he asked if they didn't they didn't realize he could have more than twelve legions of angels come to rescue him. But Jesus picked up the ear, touched uh, Malchus' ear, and it was healed. Now tell me, if this was if this was just going if this just happened, would you want to arrest this man? I don't think so. I wouldn't. I'd be too afraid of what he could do, and especially if, especially if he could, uh, especially if he could call ten thousand angels, a legion of angels, a a great number of angels to come and help him. Tell me, would you want to arrest him? I wouldn't. Let's just think naturally here for a second. I wouldn't. But they did anyways. And the reason Jesus said all this was because 
so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas's betrayal was not nece- was not necessary. The mob and the weapons were not needed. Jesus would would not run from his fate. Jesus was fully committed to bearing the punishment of the world's sin upon his shoulders. Though they had promised to die with him, the disciples fled as Jesus was led away. Why do you think the disciples ran? Where were their early, earlier proclamations and their promises of, de- of devotion so sincere? What would you have done if you had just seen a mob take away your, take away your Messiah? What would you do if you saw Jesus in the flesh and they came to take him? Perhaps maybe emotions were running high. Maybe some feared for their family, feared for their own life. So we've talked about the commitment to the cross through the prayer of Gethsemane. Jesus being arrested and yes, he was still committed to the cross, even during Peter's denial. Jesus took, was taken to uh, Annas, and then to Caiaphas, the high priest, with whom the elders and the teachers of the law had assembled. Peter followed at a distance, waiting to see what would happen. Now remember, Peter had just said, God, I'll follow you anywhere. If everyone else forsake you, I'll go to prison with you. And yet Peter stayed off in the shadows. Still followed. But was hiding behind every tree. So to speak. (coughs) The chief priest wanted evidence against Jesus. That would condemn him to death. False witnesses testified against Jesus. But their statements did not agree. Some came forward saying Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Though their testimonies did not agree. The high priest asked Jesus. Are you not going to answer? He basically asked him a question. Are you, are you not going to answer for yourself? And Jesus still remained silent. Caiaphas charged Jesus under oath to say if he was the Christ. And Matthew, the 26th chapter, and the 64th verse, it says, And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes and declared they, they needed no further witnesses because Jesus had made himself equal with God. He had spoken blasphemy, so they thought, so he was worthy of death. As the high priest, it was Caiaphas' job to offer a sin offering for the people. In conspiring to to kill Jesus, 
Caiaphas was unwittingly selected the perfect Lamb of God for the final atoning sacrifice. But in the meantime, Peter faced trials of his own. As he sat in the courtyard, Peter was accused three different times of being with Jesus. And each of the three times he denied the charges. And as soon as he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. And at that very moment, Peter remembered the words of Jesus as he spoke in Luke 22, 61, where it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembering remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. As soon as he remembered it, he ran outside. He went outside and wept bitterly. Peter's denial of Christ stood in sharp contrast to Christ's willingness to acknowledge that he was the Son of God. Have you ever deserted a close friend? Or have you ever felt abandoned when you needed the support the most? Just imagine, this is what Jesus... This is what Jesus could have felt like. And with that, we talk about not only did, did Peter deny him, but Judas, Judas was so willing And so overcome with grief to let what he did wrong make him want to take his own life. When he should have realized that Jesus Christ was the only way. You see, Judas was sick with remorse over what he had done. He had tried to return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He told them that he had sinned and betrayed innocent blood. With Jesus in custody, the, the, the chief priest did not care what type of remorse Judas had. The word tells us that Judas threw the money at their feet and left and hanged himself. Both Judas and Peter betrayed their Lord. Both were deeply remorseful. But the difference between them was Peter had true repentance. As the result, he regained the solid relationship with Christ. Rather than repenting, Judas made the tragic choice of ending his own life. And we could say what might have happened if Jesus, uh, if Judas had restored, had not uh, resorted to suicide. What would have happened? And we could ask the questions of: Could he have found forgiveness? Could he have reestablished a relationship with Christ? We will never know because of because he cho he chose grief 
and remorse after what he had done. He didn't find his way back to the altar where you can find true repentance like Peter did. In life, young people, you will make mistakes. But instead of just living with that mistake, you can find forgiveness for that failure at an old-fashioned altar. And repentance will keep you from a spiritual death. But no repentance will lead to a spiritual death. And a disconnected relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus was committed to the cross. Even during the trial. That he was in. Early in the morning. It was determined that Jesus. Would certainly die. Hastily the, the chief priests and elders. And the members of the Sanhedrin. Took Jesus to Pilate. The Roman governor. And Pilate told them. To judge Jesus by their own law because they did not have a right to execute anyone they wanted to see Jesus dead the Jews objected Pilate was not concerned with whether or not Jesus had blasphemed God he cared only if Jesus had somehow committed treason against Rome Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews. When he realized Jesus' claim to royalty was not based on an earthly throne, he said, like it says in Luke 23 and 4, I find no fault in this man. The chief priest told Pilate that beginning in Galilee, Jesus had stirred up the people with his teachings. Realizing Jesus was was under Herod Antipas jurisdiction, Pilate sent him to Herod. This was the same Herod who had allowed John the Baptist beheading. So Herod was glad to see Jesus. He hoped to see Jesus perform a miracle. He asked Jesus many questions, but Jesus would not answer him. The Bible says that on this day, Herod and Pilate, who had been before enemies, became friends. Recently, Herod had reported Pilate to Caesar for causing an unnecessary riot in Jerusalem, according to the Holman Bible Handbook. Pilate's decision to send Jesus to Herod was probably because he didn't want to offend Herod and risk more trouble with the emperor. Similarly, Herod did not want to do anything that might cause Pilate to retaliate. Realizing a wrong move could jeopardize both of them, Pilate and Herod made peace over the arrest of Peter. And after mocking our Savior, Jesus Christ, Herod sent him back to Pilate. John 18, verses 36 through 38, tells it like this. And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? 
that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Herod therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. 38 ends it with, with this. And Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. You see, Jesus told Pilate that he was born into this world to testify to the truth. Jesus said, those on the side of truth listened to him. So Pilate asked the question, what is truth then? There is a debate about whether Pilate's question was sarcastic or sincere. But regardless of that matter, this is the question many still ask today in the day in which we live in. In what way is Pilate's question echoing to this generation's attitude today? We're, we're so busy on trying to figure out if something is true or not when all we need to look is in the pages of life and we can find all the truth to all life's questions. We can Google something and we have to look through three or four different websites just to make sure that the information is valid. Make sure that it matches up. When you read the Word of God, you don't have to match it up to anything else because it is, when you read the Word of God, you're reading the, the words from, from, the, from the man who spoke them to holy men and prophets to write them down. So everything you think God is, everything that God should be, you find in His Word. Everything that we should live by and how we should act for our God, you can find in the Word of God. It is truth beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what happened? You see, it was custom. It was the governor's custom during that time to release a prisoner at the feast of the Passover. Pilate asked the crowd, basically, who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus? You see, Barabbas was a notorious prisoner who had committed murder. Pilate knew the people had handed Jesus to him out of envy. He probably hoped their common sense would prevail. But instead, the chief chief priest persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas. Pilate asked what crime Jesus had committed, but the crowd only shouted louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucifixion was considered an extreme penalty and usually reserved for slaves and violent criminals and non-Romans. It was an excruciating death, a very painful death. It often lasted several days 
until the agonized victim suffocated. Pilate saw the crowd was on the verge of an uproar. So he wanted to satisfy the crowd. He wanted to keep the peace so his position would not be jeopardized in some way. So Pilate took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. And Matthew 27 and 24 tells us something very tells us something very vital in this moment. In Matthew the 27th chapter and 24th verse it tells us that when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but rather atonement or an uproar was made he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying I am innocent of the blood of this just person see ye to it and tragically the people crying out had no idea what they were saying but they basically said his blood is going to be on us and not just us but our children as we find in Matthew the 27th chapter and the 25th verse the Jews were indeed judged not long after in AD 70 Jerusalem was destroyed so the blood of a just man always comes around So Pilate released Barabbas and had Jesus flogged or whipped. A soldier would have a, a whip called a flagrum for the flogging or for the whipping. A flagrum consisted of leather straps embedded with metal and glass fragments. Small metal balls were often sewn to the end of the strap. When striking flesh, the whip, the whip would tear skin, expose muscle, and possibly damage or destroy bone. Jesus' back was undoubtedly reduced to basic mangle flesh. Scourging was meant to bring the victims as close to death as possible without killing them. And after beating, mocking, whipping, and torturing, Jesus was led away to be crucified. So, let's look at this. Let's look at being committed to the cross from our point of view. We all, believe it or not, have a spiritual vending machine. As Christians, we often hear that with God all things are possible. And God is able to do more than we ever ask or think. God hears our every prayer. And all things work together for the good. Of them that love the Lord. And when we pray and things go wrong, we sometimes question our faith. 
We wonder where God is. We doubt he we doubt he hears us. We question his love for us. In his persistent prayer at Gethsemane, Jesus revealed important truths. We should respond to crisis with prayer. Even though Jesus was God, his flesh needed the strength prayer provided. When God did not give the answer uh, when God doesn't give the answer we want, we should still cling to him in faith and trust. God is all powerful. He knows your need and he hears your prayer. He never promised, however, that life would be easy. He never claimed that he would grant your every request. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed earnestly that he would not have to endure the suffering ahead. And as a perfect human being, Jesus had both faith and good intentions. <coughs> Even so, his prayer was answered with a no. Jesus responded the way we should when we do not receive what we want. He showed a, whole, a wholehearted faith and submission to God. Let's be honest, sometimes we, a vending machine will do this quite a bit. That we can put in the dollar, punch in the code, and sometimes it doesn't give us exactly what, what we wanted. But we still have to, we still have to keep going. And sometimes in life, we'll, we'll be praying and we'll ask God for something. And spiritually, we don't get what we want. But in the end, we got exactly what we needed at the time. We need it the most. The commitment to the cross shows an authentic relationship, a real relationship. It is possible to spend much time in the presence of God and with his people and yet not really know him. Judas was one of the elite, an insider to Jesus. Judas interacted with Jesus every day. He followed Jesus wherever he went. He was there when Jesus performed miracles. He was entrusted with the group's money. And even so, Jesus or Judas conspired against Jesus. It is not enough to be near Jesus. It is not enough to be called by him. It is not enough to be able to quote scripture. And it is not enough to just attend every church service. These things draw us close to God, but they do not replace genuine relationship. True disciples true discipleship demands willingness to die to your flesh. You have to submit to the call of Acts two and thirty eight, which is to repent first and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And it says, And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what does that mean? That means you have to surrender your life, your hopes, your dreams, and your goals to God. And you have to allow God to infiltrate, 
to fill, to search every area of your life, including your relationship, your plans, your hobbies, and your times. And when you are committed to the cross, you will be you will be healed by the sufferings he took on Calvary. First Peter, the second chapter, in the 24th verse, it tells us who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Before, before his death, Jesus was beaten, bruised, and bloodied. He bore the punishment for our shortcomings and for our sins. He cleared the way for us to die to sin and to live in righteousness. By Jesus' wound, wounds, we are healed. We are healed in our bodies. We are healed of our sins in our soul. The punishment inflicted on the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, our sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, brought us peace. As I, as we get ready to end this episode with Isaiah 53 and 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins and our rebellion. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our punishment. Our fault. Our mischief. What we should have received, he was bruised for. The chastisement. Of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Everything that Jesus suffered, we should have, but he took our place because he was committed. To the cross. And as we journey to Easter. We've talked about the journey to the cross. Now we've talked about the commitment. In all this time. To the cross. That Jesus had. We also should have that commitment. To the cross. As we experience Easter. For ourselves. I'd like to. I'd like to. In this with a prayer if you would if you just bow your head or wherever you're at if you're driving just 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 uh, just focus on the Lord dear Lord we thank you for a wonderful day we thank you for a wonderful time that we've had in your word Lord God we understand that sometimes life isn't fair we understand Lord that sometimes we don't get the answer we want but we get the answer that we need when we call upon you. 
And Lord God, as you were committed to the cross in our place, Lord, let us be committed to you and no one else. Lord, let us be committed to you whether some go or some stay. Lord, whether it's up and down, whether, whether Lord, it's a foreign mission field, whether it's uh, on the streets at a homeless shelter, Lord God. Lord, we ask you, Lord, dear Jesus, that wherever you send us, Lord God, that we'll still be committed. Even if it's not what we think we should want. Lord, we're asking for your will and not ours. Lord God, we ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to be committed to the message of Jesus Christ. The message of that you came to save us. You came to seek and to save us even when we were lost in sin. Lord God, that as we cry out to you, as we call upon your name, Lord God, and Lord, as you save our souls, Lord, as you fill us with that Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, Lord God, that we'll stay committed to you all the way to the end as you stay committed in saving us to the very end. Lord God, we ask you to Keep us and guide us until another point in time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time I have today. But tune in to the next episode as we talk about the victory that happened at the cross. As we journey our way through the scripture to Easter. When Jesus arose victoriously in that at the cross he saved us from our sins. God bless and enjoy.